Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the B-Sides podcast. This is Jenna Wright coming to you for my very first time on the Liberty B-Sides podcast. And across the table from me, I have the one, the only, Ooh. Matt Leloyan. Matt, welcome to your podcast. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, Jenna. I was going to say the one and the only Jenna Wright. Well, and the fact that you're uh, debuting and just kicking it off here. I mean, it's it's fantastic to have you on the podcast. You know, Matt, I'm no substitute for Steve King or uh, you, uh, you the, have... <laughs> the Liberty B-Sides B-Team resident team. Oh, that's true. But, uh, you know, representing for the ministry residents here. I, I, uh, I would the imagine podcast. there'll be some calls to, to upgrade you to the A-Team for B-Sides after this week. I, I mean, would imagine. We'll see what happens. Yeah. No pressure, everyone. Uh, to all the listeners out there. Maybe uh, uh, maybe to kick off to remind everyone a little bit about yourself since it's your debut and uh, the, the role that you have here at Liberty Church. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Matt. So I serve as a ministry resident here at Liberty Church. Uh, and what that looks like for me is I'm specifically serving in the area of women's discipleship and connections. Um, and why is that important to me? I, I think for me, I, I grew up in church. I love church and I love mm. church planting even specifically and thinking through how I, as a woman, can even think about discipling other women to be on mission and yeah. be a part of planting churches, whether that's here in North America or that's around the world, because yeah. I also happen to work in missions as yeah. well. So that's what I do here, uh, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, shout out to all the ladies of, of Liberty Church that have signed up for the women's retreat. We've got 64 coming this that's year. Awesome. So That's great. It's going to be a great time. Um, speaking of women's retreats and things, though, yesterday was a great Sunday. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, uh, what did Sunday look like for us yesterday, Matt? Well, we got to uh, celebrate with the Samuel family, yeah. uh, Jefferson, their son. We got to baptize him during the eight thirty service. Um, Patty Seaman, who we've just really appreciated her and her leadership of Peace Promise, great mm-hmm. local organization that combats human trafficking here in Central Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, she was with us, got to give us an update about her own personal health, her own mm-hmm. fight against cancer. Uh, but also about Peace Promise. We're really excited, too, because it's not that far down the road from this very podcast studio. Yeah. <laughs> this utility studio. room of, the, this of our building. This glorious room. <laughs> With not one, but two electric panels on the wall. Just down the road from here, uh, in, sometime this year, uh, they're going to open Ruby Coffee and Company um, uh, to employ women that are that are coming out of... Um, the trafficking industry, the specifically uh, sex trafficking industry in central Pennsylvania, which is just a, an incredible step for Peace Promise. Excited to celebrate with them. Excited to to patronize their coffee shop as yeah. well, too, and get to um, to to do some some work and meetings out of there. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think that that coffee company is going to be about the work of pushing back darkness, which yeah. I think is such a huge part of our theme and our time in First John as a church thus far. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of that, you did an excellent job yesterday teaching on on First John uh, chapter two verses seven through eleven, mm. uh, and and really zoomed in on this idea so that you may know the new commandment. Yeah. Okay, so Matt, if you were going to give 30 second 60 yeah. second elevator pitch to someone Oof. on your sermon yesterday yeah. what what's kind of your summary from from your message yesterday yeah. 
Steve gives me 90, but you're you're like saying, let's we don't have 90 seconds. We're like 30 I to mean, 60. We've got let's... <laughs> four questions to work through today. We do. we do. Yeah. So um so John talks about the new commandment. It seems like John uh, is is kind of expecting that his readers of this letter are also familiar with at least aspects of things he's written before mm-hmm. in his gospel. Yeah. In his life, uh, in his, his account of Jesus' life and ministry. So he picks up on the new commandment and without really even describing what it is, he says love one time in this text, mm-hmm. but he's talking about the commandment to love one another. Uh, John 13, 34, Jesus is the one who says in the upper room after he washes his disciples' feet, a new commandment I've given to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you are mm-hmm. to love one another. Yeah. And so picking up on that, we talked yesterday about what's old about it. Cause John says, it's not, it's not new in one sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's basic. We got into that a little bit. Uh, so it's old, but it is new. We talked about what makes it new. Uh, and then we talked about, um, that was more in the idea of perceiving the new commandment and understanding it and what it is and what makes it new. And then we talked about practicing the new commandment. Mm-hmm. Really what we did there is walk through, because John John contrasts love, practicing the new commandment of love, with hating our brother, hating our brother and sister, our fellow believer in Christ. Um, and we talked about there are some obvious forms of hatred, but there's also subtle forms of hatred. If, if John was ha- needing to write about this, that meant that Christians in his original audience were actually being deceived by people drawing them away from the church, drawing them away from Jesus. Mm. And if that hatred was deceitful, it most likely wasn't the the most obvious external forms of it. It was yeah. it was some of the more subtle ones. Mm. So I, I picked three that weren't specifically spelled out in this text, but just trying to make this idea a little bit more concrete and, and applicable to our lives. Um, talking about tolerance, negligence, and malevolence, um, subtle forms of, of ways that we can begin to hate our brother or sister in Christ. Yeah. That's 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 great. And I, I think you did an excellent job in, in thinking about uh, those realities of how we both perceive and keep the, the new commandment. There, mm. There's there's this reality of uh, being able to perceive it through the empowerment of the spirit that you talked about yeah. yesterday that that is in us to be able to not just see where God's working, but also to identify in ourselves where the darkness is yeah. is showing up. Yep. Um, but beyond that, to that drive us to a sustained long uh, obedience, which yeah. is, is really, really cool. That's right. Uh, so jumping in. I think to just some questions from from the the listeners. Yeah, uh, we I do want to harken back a little bit to uh, last week. You you kind of taught on the first part of this chapter, yeah. and I, I think this is important because at the end of the sermon, you you brought back in this idea of Jesus being our propitiation, yeah, but also our advocate, and mm-hmm. why that's important. So uh, this questioner was hearkening back to First John chapter 2, verse 2. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to read that really fast. And that says, so John says here, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the, the questioner says, it says that Jesus is the propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Some people use this verse along with others to argue for a universalist understanding of salvation. How would you suggest that we respond to someone who uses this verse as a proof that everyone is saved? Yeah. Uh, so why, first, why don't you define universalist or universalism for us and then yeah. uh, think about what our responses should look like in light of that? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the it would have been one um, last week if there was more time, you know, there never, of course, is time to do everything. But yeah to dive into this idea too. It's a great question. So 
Um, universalism would be the, the idea that Jesus's work ultimately saves everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 apart from anyone's uh, own faith or own profession to, to know and to believe Jesus, to, tr- to put their faith, their trust in, his, in him and his finished work, that still his work is powerful enough to to automatically, in a sense, save them. Yeah. So universalist being like universal, like everyone, all people experience salvation mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and it's a great question because it does, you know, it does at least prompt that question. Jesus is, is, uh, is, is a propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. But what does that mean? The, the way I would walk someone through this is to say, even in the same letter of 1 John, John clearly is not... Uh, making the assumption that all people experience salvation. Mm. He says uh, in several different places, he kind of, well, even the text we were in yesterday, he's fleshing out. There are people who say that they're in the light, say they know God, but they're actually walking in darkness by the way they live their life. So he's, he's throughout the letter creating these categories yeah. of like, there are some people who are genuine and there's some people who are counterfeit, Yeah, which is, which is in a sense saying, um, this, this is not all the same thing. There, mm-hmm. There's a difference between the genuine article and the counterfeit one. Mm-hmm. But maybe even more overtly or uh, spelled out specifically, I, you know, I would look to a place like 1 John 5. We'll get to that, you know, a couple, couple weeks down the road. But in 1 John 5, John writes in verse 11, this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. And then he says in verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Mm-hmm. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And that's maybe a, just a, a real succinct way yeah. of saying John in this very same letter is clearly not a universalist. There's some people that yeah. do not have the son. They don't believe in Jesus and his work. Um, they're not abiding in Jesus. They don't have the spirit of God in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't have life. They don't have eternal life. Yeah. So I would, I would, you know, we can go to lots of other texts throughout the new Testament, throughout scripture to say mm-hmm. universalism would be, um, in, you know, would be a, um, a heretical view, a false view of, of what scripture teaches. Um, I think it's maybe most helpful if someone's saying, isn't John teaching universalism to go to other places? John's in the same letters clearly saying that's not how it works. Yeah. And I think we have to keep in mind too, why is he writing? Right. Mm -hmm. So we, we ultimately know that we, the, the sermon series is entitled so that you may know for uh, a reason or to be cute, but there, there's this reality where, uh, John is writing here to give assurance to those who are in Jesus. Right. So, uh, I think, uh, first John five helps us see that. I think turning back to the gospel of John helps us see that, but Mm -hmm. a clear indication of who the audience is that, that John is speaking to. And I think, I think that is an encouragement to us here as New Testament believers, right, in, yeah. in our own right yeah. over here in central Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, to think through that reality as well and, and to understand the the grandiose reality reality that we do have a propitiation yeah. uh, in Jesus that is made that kind of judicial ability for us to be right with God. That's really good. Uh, yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. And, and so kind of going a, away from that just a little bit to kind of uh, a couple of our other questions questions. We, yeah. we really have two questions here that are, are pretty similar. Yeah. And they're they're really kind of getting into that idea of who the audience of the book is. Yeah. Uh, and, and so one of our, our questioners said, it seems like in the New Testament, and even here in 1 John, the term brother typically means a fellow believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think uh, our, our, our listener and, and questioner here is is having a really good observation of who the audience is. Yeah. Uh, but our, our two friends are asking this question is, 
you know, what is the distinction here? Uh, we talked a lot about what this looks like for us and how we think about hatred of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers. Um, but how does this kind of, or how does the meaning of this text or application of this cha- this passage change as we think about how we relate to unbelievers? So those that aren't in Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, maybe we should question. start on the one side, uh, yeah. first believers, because yeah. I, I think you covered that pretty well yesterday. So yeah. let's start there and then go with those who aren't in Jesus. Yeah, it's a really good question. And and to delve into it, um, so I think this person's right. Like the in the New Testament, the term brother, and actually that term in the original Greek is actually a word that typically means most of the places that, that, we, that it shows up in the English translation is brother. The word in Greek actually means siblings. Mm-hmm. So, so even we could say, and often I'll sometimes say that when I'm, when I'm reading a text of scripture, I'll say brother, but, but brother means siblings. So we can actually say brother and sister and yeah. not, not be importing a foreign idea mm-hmm. to scripture. It's, it's there. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, John in this case is writing to a, to a, a group of Christians that would include men and women. Mm-hmm. So in case that, 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 um, terminology seems there, there are certain times in the, in the New Testament where, and actually we'll get to one, uh, this coming week in First John, he he talks about um, little children, which would be men and women. Yep. But then he has some specific words for fathers and some specific words for young men. Yep. So that one, there are specifics. Like he he is going to single out men in that sense, fathers and young men, um, even as he then talks about children, which is broader, men and women. But all that to say, I agree um, with this person's um, observation. In the New Testament, the brother typically means a fellow believer. So John is really writing in this text, in this whole letter, he's mainly addressing Christians yeah. and how they relate to each other, fellow Christians. And so talking about, um, you know, love for one another, even as mm. Jesus said in his, in his original expression of the new commandment yeah. back in the gospel of John, um, he was speaking to his disciples and saying, the way you love one another is, it should, should be the way yeah. I've loved it's gonna you. It's going to look like the way I loved you. Exactly. Yeah. So there is certainly a unique calling for us to love other people who are also followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a unique way we're called to care for them and even to prioritize care for them. My mind always goes to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter six, where he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Mm-hmm. Or even that harkens back to Jesus, what Jesus continues to say in John 13, mm-hmm. where he says, this is the way that they will know you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Yeah. So there. If we're not caring for the the our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah, we're actually um, doing an incredible disservice to our witness, to our proclamation of what we believe. Yeah. So it's not in a sense to say like, hey, we're the exclusive club; we only care about each other. You're over there; you're outside. We have no love for anyone else. But it is to say we do have to make sure that other people that are followers of Christ are receiving our love, are experiencing that kind of love from you know among themselves, because that is. Um, you know, sometimes it's called the final apologetic or yeah. the ultimate yeah, apologetic, yeah, the ultimate, yeah. um, where it's like, that is the, the primary evidence yeah. that we are, that we belong to Christ. Yeah. And, and I think you gave us some really key indicators of how we can, as Christians actually demonstrate love and as opposed to hatred to our fellow believers, you yeah. mentioned curiosity, yeah. presence and pursuit, and then, uh, being at peace or, mm-hmm. uh, even being peacemakers as, yeah. as Paul kind of talks about. Yeah. I think for me, 
a good heart check yeah. in the middle of this was uh, your little side point on negligence that that boundaries, yeah. uh, boundaries like healthy boundaries and and bridging into negligence is actually a really thin line. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that as we're thinking about how specifically this relates to believers, that's a good heart check to all of us, mm-hmm. right? Uh, as we as we think about our lives. And the sacrificial way in which we are meant to love each other mm-hmm. and recognizing that there there's a depth to that that is missional, that is outside of ourselves yeah. uh, when we're actually sacrificing, sacrificially laying our lives down for brothers and sisters yeah. in our local community of believers. That Absolutely. I, that was a huge heart check for me yesterday, I think, even in hearing that and thankful for that. Um, maybe even something to press into in Bible studies this week as you think about what this looks like uh, together. Yeah, that that one in particular has tension points, certainly. I mean, and even, you know, like you're, you were having your heart check. I was feeling the heart check a lot last week. Mm-hmm. Even shared just a little glimpse of that in the sermon, just about how often I'm finding myself battling against these subtle forms of hatred. Yeah. Not that it even presents itself to my mind as like, man, I hate that person. But just like how sneaky and deceitful mm-hmm. these 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 aspects of, of tolerance and negligence and malevolence are, but the boundaries one is, man, that's, t- that's tough, you know, mm-hmm. cause you, you, you certainly can, if you're a person with naturally high empathy, um, you can run into situations in the desire to love another person, um, and end up, um, and end up in a, in a situation where they're like, they, they have unreasonable mm-hmm. expectations of what love looks like, or even, yeah. or even sometimes put kind of like, almost blackmail male level stipulations on it. And they're like, unless you give me all this stuff, you don't love me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, which of course is manipulative and not the right way to relate to anybody, but, um, yeah. but it happens. So the, those are good gut checks. And, and I think that the, sometimes if we've experienced that and we've experienced the need to, to put boundaries in place around the kind of love we're able to show to a person, we there, we then sometimes swing the pendulum really hard the other way. And yeah. you're like, if it's costly or if it's sacrificial at all, or it requires like, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, a, a difficulty, if it's a difficult kind of an ask of me, like, well, that's, I'm just going to yeah. put the boundary. That's a healthy boundary would say, don't do that. Yeah, but, that for sure. but, but when you're trying to follow the example of Jesus, mm-hmm. it clearly you love is costly. Cost him everything. Everything. Um, everything. So that's, that's the, there's, that's the right kind of tension to feel. So that would be like, I think that's a great point. Like in Bible study groups, you could, Maybe even bring up, you know, how you navigate that tension in mm-hmm. your own life. How do you, how do you try to draw the line between healthy, healthy boundaries and, and yeah, negligence? For sure. Yeah. So that's the believer side yeah, of the question. Yeah. So let's talk about non-believers. So specifically, uh, these two uh, questioners are thinking about, you know, uh, one emphasize you talked about believers sharpening one another, and that's not something you're going to be doing with a, a non-believer. Yeah. Uh, and then an, the other questioner is asking about, like, what's the attitude or the application toward uh, the unbeliever uh, from this this passage this week? Yeah, there's certainly overlap. You know what I, f- I found fascinating that never, never jumped out to me in the same way before was... So whenever Jesus gives his summary of the Old Testament law and commandments, yeah. you know, love love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's Deuteronomy six, yep. and then love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. That's Leviticus nineteen. The Leviticus nineteen passage is confusing and almost like covers both the internal, like the fellow believer, and uh-huh. the, and the external, right? So like it, um, I was gonna see if I could find it real quick. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So there's the inside, in-house, right? Fellow, yeah. fellow. Um, in this case, it would be Israelites, fellow people, you know, descendants of Abraham, part of the people of God. Mm-hmm. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
and that's where in the New Testament, you know, the teacher of the law in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 10, parable of the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. picks up on that and is trying to narrow down the definition of neighbor of to neighbor. just be the people closest to me. And Jesus blows it wide open. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but you have this, so you have, even in Leviticus 19, the foreshadowing of like, it's for your own people, but it's also for, mm-hmm. for others. It's also for the neighbor who's outside your people. It's yeah. for the sojourner. It's for the, you know, so, um. So I do think there's a lot of the posture of this love we have for one another that directly carries over in, mm-hmm. in the sense of love for neighbor. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would go directly to passages like Luke 10, where it talks about the Good Samaritan and, and mm-hmm. um, it illustrates that point. Who was, well, who was my neighbor? Who, who treated that man that was left for dead on the side of the road? Mm-hmm. The Samaritan did, the one who showed him mercy. Yeah. And, we're to, and Jesus says at the end of that parable, go and do likewise. Yeah. So we are to love those who are not part of the household of faith, not brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. and show mercy to them yeah. in the same way that the good Samaritan showed mercy. Yeah. Um, I think also Jesus says uh, in Matthew five, in the sermon on the Mount, he talks about uh, he's correcting, um, you know, misunderstandings, misapplications of the old Testament laws and commands. And he's also kind of fleshing them out even more <laughs> than they were in the old Testament. But he says in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And he says, but I say to you, love your enemy. So all the way up to and including enemies, our posture should still be one of love Mm. for them. Now, what does that actually look like? Like this person was one person asked about, like we were called to to sharpen one another Mm. as as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, 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 We're meant to be part of each other's sanctifying process of God transforming us to be more and more like Christ. We're, mm. we're often the, you know, the, the sparks flying in relationships with each other of pointing out, you know, ways that we're wrestling through consistencies mm. and inconsistencies in our lives. So we don't have that same um, exact role in yeah. the lives of someone that's not a Christian, but uh, to be someone who shows mercy to mm. them, uh, to be someone who I think, I think the curiosity point yeah. certainly carries over yeah. uh, that we should be curious about where people are coming from and seek yeah. to understand their story and not just tolerate them, mm. not just put up with them. Um, in fact, this is a great kind of sidebar, but I think it's relevant. Um, the comedic magician duo, Penn and Teller, <laughs> you were, you were totally expecting this on your first B side, weren't you? You were like, here's, we, here's going to be a Penn and Teller reference. There has to be some <laughs> random stage show reference on B sides in every episode. It's, it's in my contract. I yeah. get one. I get one every, yeah, every, every, every time episode. I'm on. Yeah. Um, Penn and, so Penn Gillette is actually a fascinating individual and yep. like, and like, almost a philosopher in some of the ways that he mm-hmm. like, he like pontificates stuff. And so he's, but anyway, he had this, I forget even where it was or where I heard it, but he had this line and specifically was talking about evangelism. Yep. And should we, should we be people who share our faith with other people? Should that even be, a, should, should proselytization just stop in our culture? You know, we're sensitive to each other. And he, he framed it by saying, you know, if your belief is that apart from Jesus, that someone is actually going to, going to experience separation from God in hell mm-hmm. for eternity. They're going to experience the torment of that. Yeah. Um, they're going to experience the judgment of God. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, how much do you have to hate someone else to not share that with them? Yeah. He was essentially making arguments like, no, actually you should let people proselytize because yeah. if, if they believe that, if that's actually a conviction of theirs, you actually to not share it with people are hating them. Yeah. And I think, I thought that was such an insightful comment and particularly about, maybe the subtle form of tolerance where we just yeah. go like, 
well, that, I'm just putting up with that person. Like yeah. they're, you know, I disagree completely with their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I think that their life, best as I can tell, no one's a perfect judge of another person's heart. Um, best I can tell, they would not be a Christian. They would not be someone whose faith and trust is in Jesus and therefore would be experiencing yeah. eternity in hell. How much do I have to hate them to not share, to not find a way to share yeah. the good news of Jesus with them? Yeah, I think a helpful check that you brought up in yesterday's sermon was this threshold of tolerance in this discussion. But because there there is this reality where I, I do think you're right, curiosity, uh, getting to know people, exhibiting fruit of the spirit, right? Like that. Ex- like actually being at peace like one of the fruit of the spirit is peace one like if we look at the list of the fruit of the spirit evidence is that that christ is in work in us the spirit of god is at work in us we we've got love joy peace patience kindness gentleness forbearance like all of these things where uh we're seeing these kinds of embodiments at play in believers and non-believers reality is is we need it for both. Totally. Um, but there is that missional impulse of us that if, we, if we're living just in the tolerance phase mm-hmm. and and not living in the prophetic and actually speaking truth in love, then we're doing people uh, a great evil or yeah, disservice, that's right. right? That's right. Um, and even... Yeah, not that you know the the gospel can be threatened, but mm-hmm. we we are kind of dimming its glory yeah. uh, uh, to to the rest of the world as we're kind of shying away from having those conversations and yeah. being willing to be bold in, in those instances in in our relationships and in, in our daily life. I, I always think of the imagery of like a stumbling block that we're not supposed mm-hmm. to put stumbling blocks in people's way. There is the sense that Christ Himself is a stumbling block, yeah. like and He calls all of us. Yeah wrong in certain aspects of our life. I mean, the fact that we're sinners means we're all, we're all wrong. (laughs) We're we're all off in at least one or in many, you know, in every case, multiple ways left to ourselves. And so he's, there's, there's an equal opportunity offense that comes from Christ. Mm -hmm. The idea being our role is to, to, to as much as possible, not put any additional stumbling blocks in people's way and help them get all the way to where, to where Jesus would actually be the stumbling block that they'll either um, fall over or recognize like, Oh, I, I do need something different than what I'm experiencing in my life. Yeah. I think there's, and you know, I should say too, shout out to Jen white on the, um, uh, on the topic of curiosity. I think that's something that, that she's, she's been thinking about a lot lately and, and had brought up recently to me. And so that was on my mind already. Mm. I think you could, you Curiosity maybe wouldn't be the the only way to pursue love as maybe an opposition to tolerance, but yeah. I think it's a great one, and I think it, it is one particularly that applies mm-hmm. to both um, Christians and non Christians yeah. alike. And I think that's I think there's a lot of great. It, it's interesting though, like in Scripture, so the, even the other applications, right? The other uh, ways of practicing the new commandment of love mm-hmm. to to be present with people and pursue them. I think yeah. there's a lot of overlap there. To not be negligent, to show reasonable care to someone. Yep. I mean, that's like the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. That's a costly kind of love that goes beyond, you know, like it's sacrificial, it's selfless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's someone that's, you know, not part of his tribe. Um, and then to be at peace with someone, there, there's a different kind of fundamental peace that's possible for Christians because mm-hmm. they've been reconciled to God. Yep. They can be at peace with each other. But Paul also says, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everybody. Like, irregardless of if they are brothers and sisters in Christ or not. So positionally, fundamentally, you will not be able to have that same kind of identity level peace with someone that's not a brother or sister in Christ. But can you experience a lot of peace with them? Can you still be rejoicing with people who rejoice and weeping with people who weep in many cases? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not a hundred percent of the time when they're not 
when they're coming from a different place of what's causing them to weep or rejoice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if that's not calibrated by the design of God or the standard of God. But um, but there's a t- all that to say, ton of overlap. And then you have Jesus, of course, throwing a giant wrench in the gears by saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You should also love your enemy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think that's a very countercultural uh, expression of the outflow of what it looks like for us to be made right with God, right? Hmm. And that that's really kind of what most of this book is about. That yeah. if we if we if we strip First John back and and really look at uh, underneath the hood, we yeah. talked about this yesterday. John emphasizes love more than any other New Testament writer. That's right. Uh, which I, I think that there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. and so there there's a transforming nature of that love as, as you are made right with God. That is an outflow, not to your brother and sister, mm-hmm. but to the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's just really exciting, really encouraging, and obviously really meaningful to me, mm. working in missions, you yeah, know, and, and, and being able to walk alongside of people as they're in that process and thinking through what part they get to play in that process. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so moving on, maybe uh, uh, maybe digging in, maybe like a little bit deeper sure. away from this idea. Uh, our, our last questioner kind of asked this question. We we're talking about different kinds of hatred here mm-hmm. in, in, the, in this this text. Is hatred ever good? Hmm. Uh, some psalms are imprecatory, which big word. I'm going to have you define that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, which uh, would be wishing ill will on some people. What's the line between that kind of prayer and psalm and the hatred that would mean we are in darkness, according to John? Yeah. Well, imprecatory would be um, invoking a curse, essentially, mm-hmm. on another person. Yeah. It would be like, so it'd be maybe a, maybe a few degrees beyond an ill wish for someone. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and, and where we get that is um, in the Bible is several psalms. Yep. Um, mostly from David, if I'm remembering right, where he is asking God to uh, to show up and act powerfully against his enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we just, if, we're, if you're reading through the Old Testament plan this year with with Liberty, Psalm 56 or 58, right around there, there's one that says, um, you know, oh God, shatter the teeth in their mouths, mm. break the teeth, you know, curb stomp them, yeah. basically, right? Like. Um, uh, so anyway, it's you know there, there's some intense language used in Psalms that David is asking God to like kill or horribly injure his enemies, yeah. and so we do have a scriptural foundation and basis to, um, in that sense, wish ill on mm-hmm. someone. Um, yeah, a couple thoughts about that. I, I think there is a way to pray imprecatory kinds of prayers that still are holding a place open for redemption Mm -hmm. in a person's life. Um, This came up in a B-side not that long ago. Um, I'm trying to remember what was the specific context of that. But like we, we use the example like that comes to mind of like, like right now, Vladimir Putin, right. And his, uh, the war that you, that Russia is, is, is is waging on Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. How should we, how should we pray about that situation? Well, I think you can pray like God stop the, stop the Russian army from especially the atrocities that are being committed against civilians. Right? Yeah, like, for sure. you, I mean, I, you know, people are gonna have different perspectives politically and all that, like, but you can at least pray, you know, stop the army from it's like, you know, make them ineffective in the work that they're mm-hmm. doing. Stop them. Um, you can pray the same thing about Putin and some of his policies and, and the injustices that are being committed there. Mm-hmm. You can also pray, 
uh, you know, and God do unbelievably powerful work to transform his heart or the hearts of the people that are committing these injustices, turn them toward you. Mm. So there's both an imprecatory sense of like, stop them, like put a stop to it. And sometimes that's really severe. Like sometimes yeah. it requires, um, you know, sometimes it requires a powerful act of God to actually shut something down. Mm. Um, all the while holding out a place of hope for, for God's redemptive work to come to bear on that person's yeah. life too. So there's a, there's a tension there. I would say hatred in the sense of like wanting someone to experience eternal condemnation. Mm. I would say I can't fathom a situation where, where it would be condoned this side of the cross of Jesus Christ mm. to, um, you know, to, 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 to hate someone in that, at that depth that, and, that and call depth, that okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that scripture would condone that. I think when Jesus says you have to love your enemies, mm-hmm. not hate your enemies, I think there's a, at a minimum, you're not, you're not approving what they're doing. Uh, you're not excited about what they're doing. You might be actively working against them. You might be yeah. like even, I think Patty Seaman and Peace Promise is a fantastic example of this, mm-hmm. who says we are going to shut down traffickers and people who victimize vulnerable mm-hmm. women and children and some men in some cases. They primarily work with women in our region, but we're going to shut them down. We are not. Um, going to coddle yeah. the the injustice and the evil that trafficking is. Mm. At the same time, our hope for traffickers is that they meet Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like I think that's a great. They're not there. There's a hatred um, in the sense of like we we need this evil to come to an end, and mm. God bring it to an end. Bring your judgment to this now. Yeah. But save the people that you're mm. that you're stopping. <laughs> yeah. In that. Is that is that um, is that helpful? That no, I, that I think like that's a- helpful. I, I think this kind of uh, where my brain is going. You you kind of talked about at the end of yesterday's sermon that the the greatest danger uh, within us is that we we don't like experience these forms of hatred that we're talking about. It's that we pretend that we don't. Right. And, and I think behind that statement is this this reality. It's really to look at the hatred of a Vladimir Putin, yeah. right? Yeah. And 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 look at that and say, man, like that's really evil. Yeah. And and not being able to actually like inter- introspectively look at the evil of my own heart. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and as as you kind of like delve into that deeper, I, I do think that sometimes we can be guilty of creating a, a like a grid of super pe- evil people over there, yep. and we're over here, yep. and you know we're good. Yeah. Um, but there there is kind of this kind of like interplay of the the wickedness of our own hearts that mm-hmm. uh, I, I think is just really helpful to temper that when we start thinking about these discussions as we think about imprecatory prayers as we think about praying against the the enemies of God those aren't bad things yeah. they're they're biblical things but what's our intent I think it is a good question to to kind of be asking yeah. what what's our ultimate goal what's our ultimate hope mm-hmm. and and then I say I think a second check though uh, that goes even further and yeah. where I think scripture is even more severe and you touched on this yesterday is when we have imprecatory thoughts toward a brother or sister right, right. Uh, and yep. that's even more of a dangerous territory sure. uh, what are your thoughts about that yeah that's that's I think where to, to be sensitive to that and to be repenting of that and to be pursuing love instead of that level of hatred for another person I think mm-hmm. that's the um, that was the idea there at the end of like saying that the, the, the greatest danger is not that we'll find these subtle forms of hatred in us but that we'll pretend that we don't I think mm-hmm. we will I mean we're still mm-hmm. sen- like 
John's been writing all throughout this letter, like it's not that we don't sin, it's but when we sin, we have an advocate. And it's when we confess our sins, Jesus, you know, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that carries out for hatred too. The as long as we are recognizing it as God brings it to light and repenting of it. I think the the progression here at the end of this text in 1 John 2, verse 11, mm-hmm. where it talks about you're in the darkness, but then you start to walk in the darkness, and then you end up being in the darkness so much you become blind to it. You can't even see where you're going. Mm-hmm. And that idea, like that's the most precarious place for someone that is claiming to be a Christian is when they're when they're hating people in, in, in these overt or subtle ways, and they don't even see it. Yeah. They don't, like that's a dangerous, precarious place to be. Mm-hmm. That means you actually are really in the darkness. Yeah. If you, sure. if you actually have a sense of like, you know, and even the, the Holy Spirit would use a text like this, uh, would use conversations in your Bible study group, would use a sermon, whatever, mm-hmm. um, to kind of go like, oh gosh, I need to like be sensitive to that, to where I'm seeing that in my heart and pursue repentance of it, pursue love instead. That's actually evidence that you are, yeah. that you have the spirit of God that you are being called back into the light, mm-hmm. that you're not, you haven't, you haven't become so used to the darkness that you become blind. Yeah. I think that's the, so I, I would certainly say as discouraging as it is to sometimes come face to face with this, the, the forms of hatred that we still have in our hearts, mm-hmm. there is a sense that we can, we can rejoice that we still see it yeah. <laughs> and, that we're, and that, and that we can still repent uh, that we, you know, we're, we're being invited by God as we see it to repent of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's particularly impactful to think about that as we think about our Bible studies this mm, week. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, kind of uprooting hatred in our own hearts is a very vulnerable thing to do. Yeah. Uh, so as you think through that this week, uh, think about that as an opportunity, not just to rejoice between you and God, but to rejoice in uh, a gathering uh, of a Bible study uh, with one another. Uh, yeah. James talks about when you confess your sin to one another in that kind of public way. Yeah. Yeah. There's healing. There, there is rejoicing. Hmm. There, uh, there's this kind of cl- not cleansing in a sense, but it, it, it's this kind of like communal totally. uh, participation of, yeah. of rejoicing in the fact that man, like we were blind, now we see, yeah. uh, and we have the ability through the work of the Spirit in us to kill sin in our lives, which is something to rejoice about, but yeah. also uh, the reality that we get to join in this work that Jesus. Uh, really kind of completed on the cross, but we get to continue to work out in and yeah. as we work out our own salvation and with each other yeah. uh, to push back darkness in, in the world. Yeah. Uh, so as we're confessing our sin this week, mm-hmm. as we're looking at our Bible study questions, as we're thinking through this text and, and what, what John is has been writing about this whole time, uh, we're actually stamping out darkness That's in, good. in the world. That's really good. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but I totally agree. Like even even the way we love each other through doing this together, through yeah. bringing up these questions and helping us pursue love, that's part of the same, the same triumph of God, but the true light already shining. Yeah. Cool. That's great. Well, hopefully I didn't blow my one and only no, shot you did, you here on the B-Sides podcast. You did great. Yeah. Thanks everyone for your time and I hope you have a wonderful week in your Bible studies. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources, information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.